This is Chris Angeles, and this is Right at the Fork, your Portland food scene podcast. We're very happy you're here with us, and we invite you to share the experience with those that you think might enjoy any of our interviews. We have an archive at rightatthefork.com that goes back to January of 2014. Uh, many interviews, many sound bites that, um, that you might enjoy and you might want to share with your friends. Uh, this one, I think you will, with uh, both Ben Bettinger and Patrick McKee, both of now Laurelhurst Market. Um, and many people are familiar with Patrick and Ben. They have both worked with very closely with um, one of our great chefs in Portland, Vitaly Paley, uh, at both Paley's Place and Imperial. And most recently, both uh, left their positions there to um, work together at Laurelhurst Market. Um, we, Heather and I talked about, we, we actually talked about having one of them and or both along the way over the past year and decided it was too tough to have just one of them and not the other. So we thought, let's do, a, uh, let's do an interview with them together. And I think it came off really well. We talked a little bit about their pasts and uh, their current experiences and what's going on at Laurelhurst. Uh, they're great guys, uh, both handsome guys. So take a look at the picture that we have. Um, Patrick is from D.C., spent his childhood visiting his grandparents out at the Oregon coast in Brookings Harbor, uh, ended up cooking at uh, down in Eugene at Marche and came up to Portland and uh, started working with Chris Israel at Zephyro, found his way to uh, Castagna and then um, to Paley's Place. I think he's got a few others on his resume, but those were the most notable spots that Patrick stopped at. And uh, Ben came here from Vermont um, uh, years back and went through um, Le Cordon Bleu and found his way to the kitchen at Paley's Place where he assisted and worked under Vitaly Paley, became the executive chef at Paley's Place, then left to go to Beaker and Flask a few years ago. That quickly brought that restaurant within months to uh, packed status with great reviews and Restaurant of the Year awards, uh, and then came back to work with Vitaly to open Imperial uh, a couple of years ago. Big restaurant, big responsibility. That's a fantastic place. He's left the reins to uh, Doug Adams now, and just recently, uh, in the last few months, went to Laurelhurst uh, to run the kitchen there. He brought in Patrick not too long after. We're going to hear that story and how it happened, and I think you will uh, not only enjoy this interview, but you will enjoy your time at Laurelhurst Market. Um, go down there and enjoy a bite and think about these two guys while you're doing so. And by the way, if you guys, for whatever reason, don't like the headsets, some people don't. You take them off. There you go. I've never liked headphones. Yeah, it feels great. I don't know why. I like I them. don't listen to, like, music on with headphones. Oh, really? You're no. not into the mm -mm. earbuds, I can, even? Uh -uh. I can do I can do music that way, but, like, I don't know. What kind of music do you guys listen to? I was actually thinking about that earlier. What I'm, all, I'm all over the board. I mean, I grew up old school hip-hop, but at the same time. Oh, old school hip-hop. Well. I was thought you were going to say old school rock and roll. Oh, right? old school rock and roll as well. I mean, oldies are, like, my jam. Like, through high school, that's all I listened to was, you know, 1960s Motown fun. Yeah. Cool. But. 
What about you? You did some classical piano, I, I saw. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, my grandfather listened to old old school jazz. Um, he actually, uh, I found out through my mom, actually, not that long ago, that he uh, had done some like jazz singing on the radio, which I had never really known. But uh, And no recordings, unfortunately. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I don't think so. But I also, uh, you know, growing up in D.C., uh, I was part of the, the punk scene there, you know, uh, Bad Brains, uh, Fugazi, stuff like that. Yeah. So. But I'm all over the board these days, too. So. so, you know, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go in the late 70s, in the early, <clears throat> with bands like the Dickies and X and Sure. Oh, yeah, Curry, X. So. Uh, and I went back there oh, 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Yeah. And I was absolutely the oldest one you know, <laughs> in the whole place. No one was older than I was. And at the time, I was like 19, 20. <laughs> Anyway, so listen, most of the time, every time we've had two people in here, they're married. <laughs> so Awkward. you guys, I, I was thinking about this this morning. You're not really married, but you're like chef bros. I'm not, not getting married till August. That's right. <laughs> well, and this guy's not going to be the one. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Awkward. Um, August, that's congratulations, Thank by you. the way. Thank you. So where are you going to go? Uh, we're getting married on Soviet Island. Right. Yeah. And then are you going to have time for a honeymoon? Oh, we're honeymooning it. Yeah, we're doing Barcelona. Ah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. We did that. talk about this, yeah. And when are you going to be there? Uh, I'm guessing, it looks like the first couple weeks in September. Yeah, we're going to yeah. miss you. I know. We're going to just miss it. Well, right. it would be fun to hang out with Jose. You guys are yeah, friendly with Jose. Yeah, Jose's Basically. a good friend of mine. Yeah, I know. You guys are... Chef bros, too. Yeah, totally. Got the whole chef bros. So how did this all, you're both at Laurelhurst now. Mm-hmm. How did how did this come about uh, in the last six months? Or, say, do you want the yeah, long you, story or the short I, story? <laughs> no, we'll go, we'll go back to Paley's Go place. back to 2004. But, but, but in the last year, how did this all come about? How did, uh, basically, how did Patrick end up joining you? How was that? Uh, well, I was approached, um, I want to say May of 2014 uh, by Ben Dyer, who's one of the owners of Laurelhurst Market. And he, I was working at Imperial at the time as the chef there. And he just said, hey, any long shot here, but any chance you would ever consider coming to Laurelhurst Market and taking over as the chef? I said, hey, you know what, man? Let's, let's sit down and chat about it. So I met with uh, Jason, Dave, and Ben, the three owners. And uh, we had several different meetings. And I decided it was a great fit for me and what I wanted to do with my future. Um, so I signed on board with them at that point. And what was better about Laurelhurst than what you were doing at Imperial? Oh, nothing better or worse. Just different, um, different agendas. I think um, for me, a huge component of it was those three guys have have families, and are super supportive of that idea of me having a family, which, mm-hmm. which is the next step for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, we're getting married in August, and we're we're ready to have kids. So um, that was a, that was very appealing. Just knowing that they they'd kind of been through it and, and opened restaurants with children and understand and mm-hmm. I want I don't want to be a father that's not not around so um, I want to be able to be as a big a part as, as a kid's life as possible so and Patrick you've been a father that's around but you've also spent a lot of time in the kitchen how lots of time yeah so uh, have you been able to spend as much time as a father as you want is that something that also was appealing to you about Laurelhurst? Uh, as far as pre Laurelhurst, uh, well, no, I'm just saying, you know, you have done a single parent, correct? That takes a lot of energy. Um, especially those two. Yeah, exactly. It takes a lot of energy. So it's not something you can just say, Hey, I'll, I'll get to it when I'm not at work. I mean, you have to chef 
being a chef is difficult work. It's time consuming. It's mentally be... grueling. So when you get home, you that, that no... can be even more mentally grueling. And you don't. Well, have... There's you know I talked to Ben about this quite a bit. You know there's not a lot of downtime. You know between going full war at work and then going home and it's time to uh, get the laundry done and uh, you're cooking meals and getting everybody up and ready for school uh, super early in the morning and making sure that my teenager is getting to school on time. Uh, <clears throat> when you With hear this, homework? Yes, Bella, when you hear this, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, and then on top of it, I have, uh, you know, Henry, who's a special kid and uh Getting him ready for school and getting him up and just, you know, working with him on a day-to-day basis, you know, is, it's very rewarding. I wouldn't change it for the world. It's definitely a challenge. Um, but there's not a lot of room for me for a lot of, you know, uh, personal time, you know, because work comes first during my work week, you know, and when I have the kids, you know, my kids are my number one priority, you know, and there's a lot of times where there's, you know, and I've talked to Ben's really great about this. There's a... Uh, Times where there's crossover where I have to work and I have the kids and, you know, we make it happen. Yeah, I uh, I, I raised two myself and right. I did it as a self-employed person. And I often say I couldn't have done it with a job. So what you're doing, I don't, you know, because you don't control, you sort of control your time, but you don't, you don't have complete control of your own time. No. It's tough. So, um, so how did your coming to Laurelhurst come about obviously you guys didn't just meet in a coffee shop you know each other really well you've grown up and you know i think i mean i think the conversation started a while back and patrick and i are always there for each other um you know for support you know when times are tough and whether it's just hard times in the kitchen or hard times with life you know we 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 have each other's back and we chat with each other and um you know i could sense frustration i think with patrick and his his past experience and you know, he had been at Paley's Place for 10 years, which is nothing to sneeze at. You know, mm-hmm. I spent eight years there, and that was a lifetime, and it was an experience that I'll never forget and cherish forever. And I know Patrick will as well. Absolutely. But I just, the more we chatted, you know, he was having a hard time there, just being frustrated, being there for so long. And I was having a hard time with the current sous chef that I had. And, you know, I think at one point there was a text message sent from me saying, hey, man, I'm looking for everything, dishwashers, line cooks, sous chefs. And Patrick jokingly sent back a message saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm kind of tempted about that sous chef. And then, you know, a couple beers later, going out here and there and chatting about it more, we just decided, like, we work really well together. Why not come back on board and, and do this together, you know? So um, Patrick accepted the position as, as my sous chef, and that was, that was in January. So we've had a couple months under our belt, and things are, things are going really well. So did you get a text back that kind of surprised you? Because you were... You were just kind of testing the waters. Well, and you, you know, really thought about it very much. And know, I think I may have let that one just kind of float and was just like, oh, wow, like he's hey, you mentioned I, I, it. So, I think the, you know, maybe <laughs> I, I think I think the text back was something about, you know, don't tempt me or, you know, something like that, uh, you know, but. uh at the time, I, you know, it's like, you know, I like to say there's, you know, when people are joking around, it's like there's a little bit of truth in everything everybody says, you know. So mm-hmm. there was, there was, part of me was throwing it out there to see what it was about, you know. And it kind of got the wheels turning in my head about uh, conversations that Ben and I used to have uh, about what it would be like to be outside of Paley's and working together. And I think that's where it kind of it started to kind of come together. So working together, um, how are you... How do you delineate your styles? What your, your responsibilities? Um, because you had, you know, you had a, 
a lot of responsibility. You both did. You had a lot of responsibility in two of Paley's big restaurants. You were both the, the the top dogs at Imperial and Paley's place. Now you're together. So how does that how does that work? And have you managed to uh, find your way together again? Well, I mean, I think the the roles were defined early on. You know, um, I'm the executive chef, and Patrick's my sous chef, and he's there to. To, to see visions out, and that was one of the most appealing parts of bringing Patrick on board was that I knew when I tell him, hey, I want to do this, he's going to hit seven out of ten of those steps without, a, without us even talking. Because we come, we're cut from the same cloth. We're, you know, we're, we, we came up in the same kitchens together. We're very, we understand each other's styles. So the communication is already ten steps ahead before we actually speak. Um, so, you know, when Patrick jumped in the kitchen for the first day at Laurelhurst, you know, I was able to just point him in directions, and he can jump right into it. Uh, you know, except for the pastry part, that was a little bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> it well, took a week or so to catch up on that. Wait a minute. Yeah. To be what, what to be fair, that? though, the fir- <laughs> my very first day at the market, I was like, you know, who's doing pastries here? And he looked at me and was like. You, you and me are. <laughs> he was like, it's cool, man. When I started, they told me the same it's thing. It's a steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We do have desserts, and they yeah. are quite—they're quite lovely. So, no. So on a daily basis, you know, we 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 tackle you know all the challenges together, and we work as a team, and we delegate through through just like any other chefs would, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, it's honestly—I think it's one of. I mean, service is fun because it's it's crazy busy there, but uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is just you know Ben and I get in the kitchen in the morning, and it's just us two, and we got time to kind of spread out, and we can you know he and I together, you know, we can tackle a lot of really big projects, you know, all in one day. And and I would imagine as you talk about getting married and having children, it gives the folks at Laurelhurst and you and Patrick the confidence to know that, you know, it's, he's like a player, he's like a the in baseball, the guys who manage, the managers, Joe Torre years ago with sure. the Mets, he could manage and play at the same time. So uh, I think, I would imagine that was you know, part of the appeal. I mean, I think that's the appeal for both Patrick and I, you know. Like, they wanted me to come in there and run the show, but I'm also in, in the game every day. You know, I'm suiting up and playing every day, um, and we both can still do that. We can both still line cook, you know. <laughs> and that's that's very appealing for owners for, for to have a chef that wants to be in there and be active and on the line every day. And, you know, that's what I love. That's why I started cooking. I loved that adrenaline, that excitement. Um but yeah, no. Having Patrick as that second player is crucial. Yeah, and um, you got a third player too, Kevin. Brought we, Kevin in from we do, your yeah. old Beaker and Flask Kev. days. Yeah, uh, we we brought Kevin on back in. I want to say uh, end of October, maybe. No, I'm sorry, maybe November, mid November to take over as bar manager there. And it's been yeah, it's been awesome. Really nice having Kevin back. He's just a genius when it comes to cocktails. Um, what what he does with three to four ingredients is always mind blowing to me. Yeah, he's he is amazing. You're all three really nice guys. I, you know, I suffice another baseball reference. You guys are like the Yankees, and I hate to say it as a Met fan. Oh man, I hate <laughs> but, the Yankees. We yeah, all hate well, the but Yankees. but I'm just saying the way you're operating, or maybe the Dodgers now. Now yeah. in these days, right. Dodgers where they're bringing in the heavy hitter free agents, and uh, and you got some team in there. Have you noticed? Um, I'm sure the business at Laurelhurst has been picked up since you've all. Three been there. Not only are you making some great stuff, but you've got followings. Yeah, business. From three big, four big restaurants. Business has really been great, and uh, you know a lot of that just goes to the five years uh, of the groundwork that Laurelhurst that they laid down. Definitely, uh, it's a very busy restaurant. When I walked in there, it wasn't slow. You know, this was for me. This was a new challenge. I'd uh, you know I'd opened up several new restaurants from the ground up. 
um, as chef, and that is an extremely hard situation to be in. But taking over an already existing, very busy restaurant proved to be more challenging to me. Really? Uh, yeah, because there was there's so many, um, so many, so many things already set up and in place. Um, there's and, a lot of moving parts. There's a there. lot of moving parts, and I it's can't busy. imagine that's it's, harder than opening. It's so a busy. And flask or opening Imperial. That was huge. That was very huge. Uh, you know, challenges were different, but. Um, yeah, the last six months have definitely been challenging, but it's worth it. You know, every day that I that I go in there, I leave at the end of the night thinking, you know, wow, like every day is just a little bit better. And that's why I was brought on there it was just to take something that was already good and make it great. And I want to continue to do that. You know, the, um, we're never going to change what Laurel Horse Market is. Laurel Horse Market is a steakhouse. You know, that's what we do. It's what we focus on. The The exciting part for me is just to tighten everything up and to and to uh, continue to grow what's already great. So other than bringing Patrick on, what are some of the things you've done specifically that you can talk about to make it a better <clears throat> restaurant? Uh, for me, it's just attention to detail. You know, um, I think I'm working a little bit closer um, on a daily basis with the ingredients and, and really monitoring what goes in and out of that kitchen. Um, you know, Dave Kreifel's, the one of the owners, just, he doesn't want to spare anything. Well, we want to bring the best product in that we can. The beef that we bring in, we work with several different ranchers, and the product that we bring in is phenomenal. And I want to just do do all that food justice and, and make sure it goes out seasoned properly and cooked properly. Because, I mean, what's more important than going to a steakhouse than having your meat seasoned and cooked perfectly? You know, that's why you go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. And we're having fun with, you know— Kind of little riffs on old classics, and and you know that's where I that's where the creative side still comes into it. I would imagine that was a, an easier transition for you to go from Imperial to Laurelhurst than it was from Paley's to Laurelhurst. Way different. Yeah, so. I mean, I think Patrick was a little a little shocked with the volume. Um, you know, it doesn't look like a huge restaurant, and again, coming from Imperial, where we had 120 plus seats, 130 seats. Uh, doing big covers down there, I was expecting the same thing. I was like, oh, it's going to be a walk in the park, you know, one one service only, dinner only, um, you know, 75, 80 seats. This is easy money, but um, it's a busy, busy spot. It's they, they crank. It's deceptively busy, yeah. yeah. And we just want to keep pushing that. And so now for, for me, my goals personally is how do I make it, how do I streamline it more and how do I how do I continue to grow this operation without being able to add bodies? We don't really have any more room for cooks. We don't have any more room for stations. We've we've got what we got. So how do we streamline it, make it smarter, make it faster? Because uh, we're just growing, and and we got to keep up with it. And are you helping with that process as well? I mean, you you ran a kitchen, so uh, I would imagine you're bringing something to the table there. Well, I, yeah, um, I'm. You know. Ben's the guy, you know, um, it's fun working with him and, and, you know, it's like we're, uh, I feel like we're pushing the envelope together as a team, you know, and my mission to go in there every day is to, you know, like Ben was saying, get a little bit better, you know, and realize the, the challenges that we have and, you know, with just how busy it is or, or, uh, coming up with new stuff or teaching new cooks. We've got, you know, some guys who are, you know, 21, 22 years old who are, are real green, uh, and, being mentored and, and teaching and showing them what you can do. Well, that brings us to uh, a guy by the name of Vitaly Paley. Um, that's the perfect spot to talk about him. Uh, he, obviously, you guys spent a lot of time in his kitchen. 
he has spawned a lot of chefs. I mean, Gabriel, you can just go on and on the, the list, you guys. Um, obviously, he taught you some things about cooking, but he also taught you some things about teaching, too, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Absolutely. You know, I came out of culinary school, I think I was 21, maybe just turned 22 when I, when I started as an intern at Paley's. And uh, my cooking experience prior to that was working at a bar and grill and working as a short order cook. So it was, it was pretty, pretty minimal, mm-hmm. but the passion was there. Um, so I can remember my first few weeks there and Vitaly just took me under his wing and he really just kind of put me, pulled me next to him and I worked side by side with him and all the projects during the day and, you know, we just hit it off. And so what do you think he saw in you that enabled him to do that? Cause there are a lot of people that come into his kitchen. He was just telling me, we had a nice conversation a couple of weeks ago about Doug Adams mm-hmm. and what he saw in him years ago and how he's brought him along. Same thing with Luis. Sure. Um, what I do you think, think he saw in you that he didn't see in somebody else? Well, as chefs, you know, cooking is such a small part of your job. You know, you're working with people on a daily basis and you work with so many different personalities. And one thing you have to become very good at is recognizing people's personalities and where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. And I think Vitaly saw in me that I was, I was very young. I was 22. Um, but I think he saw passion and he saw heart and he saw determination and all those things that he knew um, you know, it may not have been raw talent, but he saw that I was a sponge and I wanted to learn and I was there for one reason and one reason only that was to, to learn from him. Um, and we ran with that, you know, that, that lasted for eight years. I ended up being there until, you know, 2008. Um, so yeah, I think he just saw that drive and determination in me. And you started at a pretty young age and you were washing dishes at Paley's, right? No. Oh, you weren't? <laughs> no, well, then it was somewhere else. No, 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 no. Then it was for Chris. Uh, is, uh, I, uh, by the time I, I, I didn't go to culinary school, I started as a dishwasher. Here oh, there town. you go. I mixed it up. Sorry. But, uh, but, but worked, you clear it up. That's what you're I, here for. I had worked in a couple of different restaurants here and then I got the opportunity to uh, be a lunch cook for uh, Chris at Zephyro. Right. And I was a daytime grill guy there, and uh, I got my ass kicked because I had been, you know, kind of like Ben, I'd been uh, in a few places that weren't of that caliber, you know. And it was, you know, kind of reminds me of my time now at Laurel Horse. You know, it was like it was a big adjustment, you know, just coming from, you know, learning the 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 ropes of what it took to be at Zephyro, you know, or like what it's taken to be at, at the market now. What does an ass kicking look like at the end of the day when you get home? What did you do and what were you thinking? <laughs> or what did you not Back do? then or now? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just, it's actually, you know, a lot of people go through it. It's a tough business. But so what did, when you, you obviously had something in mind when you said you got your ass kicked. Um, you know, I remember once I, uh, he hated a dish that I put up for lunch and he took it and he threw it in the garbage can and was like, start over. You know, so and it was like we were literally in the window trying to sell food. And he was like, we don't do it that way. But it was a big learning point for me, you know, and and I became very determined to uh, improve and to be better. And like I said, I didn't go to culinary school, but I went down to Powell's and I bought the CAA uh, textbook and I read it and really got into uh, learning about it. And then. You did go to culinary school though, because no. well, yeah, well, but you're I mean, you're up a different one. You went to yeah. the real you went to the real culinary school. You know, and then I as a cook I became very successful at Zephyro and I worked into working at nights there and Chris really took me under his wing there and kind of pointed me in the right direction and when I was leaving Zephyro he said, you know, you need to 
go through and find the best people in the city to work for if you're not going to go to school. And that really stuck with me uh, until, you know, years later I'd gotten married, I had kids. Uh, I had to move back to Portland for some reasons for my son, and I started at uh, Paley's then, and there was an opening. And actually Ben Dyer called me uh, and told me that Paley's had an opening. And that's how I got involved, and then I met Ben, you know, and then it, that's it from there. That, well, that's a, that's a lot of it from there. <laughs> Part of that included uh, an appearance, pretty big appearance on TV. I think there probably been now since a lot of Portland chefs on TV, but you guys, the three of you, uh, did something I think that's really big. That can't that is one of the biggest things you can do, and that's beat an Iron Chef um, yourselves. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience. Um, that was a, it was a wild experience for sure. You know, I had, I wasn't working for Vitaly anymore. And, um, I'll remember that. I remember the day he called me. I was actually in Hawaii on a little vacation All right. and, uh, see Vito's calling and I just talked to him before I left. He knew I was there and I was like, something must be up. Picked up the phone and Vitaly's like, he's screaming and we're, we're on, we're on, we're on. And, um, <laughs> He was referring to Iron Chef that he had gotten the call, and we had been he had he had been Vitaly had been invited on, which was a big dream of ours when I was at Paley's. We had um, we had flirted with the idea, and Vitaly's assistant had talked to Mario Vitaly's assistant, and we were trying to get on, and it never panned out. So, uh, a dream the two of us wanted to have for a long time was now happening, even though I wasn't you know working for him anymore. So he told me it was going to be myself and Patrick going along, and you know that that started there, and. Um, I think we like four or five months kind of prepped ourselves for it and got prepared and um it was a wild road and the show is no joke what did you guys do to prep what, what was the four or five months because well, there is no textbook for how yeah to just cooking for- cooking together again cooking under a timed you know a timed amount of you know, yeah, setting did. a timer and doing things time drills you know all of a sudden you're peeling garlic and you realize that peeling a whole head of garlic it takes three minutes sometimes you know and three minutes is precious when you have 60. So to just do garlic, so all those little things, you just work on refining every little skill that you take for granted, um, and you just push each other more and more. And I think the first time we did a time trial, we fell so flat. <laughs> all three of <laughs> we us. We did. It was bad. All three of us, we came up like 10, 15 minutes short of trying to achieve what we wanted to. So uh, did you have to stop at 60, or did you find out how long it actually took you? So you I don't remember which I don't, way it went. I, I think I, I know just remember putting like my knife down and walking away. <laughs> Yeah. How, how many head shakes were there when you guys realized you were so far off? And there, you had, there's lots of head shakes. And that's without the pressure of television. That's no, yeah, there was no television. That was just in our own comfortable kitchen, which we were all familiar with. Um, so, again, that's one of the biggest, the biggest stresses of going on Iron Chef is you walk into a strange kitchen where you don't know where anything is or how anything works. Does the grill run hot? Does it run cold? Does the oven actually run at 500? Where's the strainer? Where are my towels? Why, the pantry doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look like. And, and you have right. no time you're to adjust. You're at a huge disadvantage because the chef, Iron Chef, Jose Garces in this case, yep. knows his way around the kitchen. And well, it's, he, yeah, they, they let him pick which side he wants to be on. You know, he's more comfortable on one side than the other, and that's what he gets to do. And you know, but he, either way, he's got the upper hand. Well, they've been in it before, yeah, right? You know, so it's kind of trial by error. You know, we uh, didn't know what was going to work well and what wasn't going to work well, and you know. And how long before do you know it's uh, battle radish? At what point you you're given a few possibilities? I understand. That may or may not be how it happened. Yep. <laughs> uh, yes, we found out. I mean, in live moment, you know, you don't know. You don't know exactly what you're going to be working with until it's go time. Um, 
for myself, that was the the ingredient that I was most comfortable with, as far yeah. as what we had we had talked about. So when when that when when the ingredient was revealed, I was psyched. And at that point, my confidence kind of grew. I went from being nervous and kind of intimidated standing there in this kitchen to, all right, we got this. All we have to do is all we have to do is cook the food that we know how to cook and work together like we've done for years and years. Yes, there's cameras everywhere. Yes, it was Manhattan in late July and it was like 110 degrees and. You know, I was just pouring sweat. I believe at one point they told me they were going to stop filming me because I was sweating so much. <laughs> they can't, I, I remember they told you to wipe your face. Yeah, like wipe your yeah. face, Battinger. And I was like, I'm good. And they're just like, we are going to stop filming you. Well, yeah, that's when that's when you should have said, yeah, we need a timeout. Yeah. Give us an extra five minutes. <laughs> sure. You go over, do the garlic, and you're yeah. wiping. I wish that was the case. Now they hold you to that that timer. You know, I yeah. remember as they're counting down three, two, one. Literally, there was a guy there to like push me away from a plate that we were trying to trying to push out at the last second. Yeah. So that editing that they're doing at the last uh, fifteen seconds, that because I always picture that's that's not really what's going on at that time. They're, they're... I felt like it was about as real as as it could be. You know, there was no breaks, there was no stoppage, there was no timeouts, no. there was no. Okay, stop and reshoot this final thing. It's you have sixty minutes, and when those sixty minutes are up, it's it's done. That's done. If you are missing two plates, you're gonna look like an idiot. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that show, just my impression as a viewer, does less in the editing process, and the producers have less to do with the outcome. Sure. Than a lot of the other shows, I I think that some of the other shows, they're they want a particular winner, and they're gonna push it mm-hmm. that way. It seems like in Chopped, you get that, um, but this one, you. you you're, it's raw. Felt, felt it's real to us. Yeah. <laughs> it was the quickest hour of my life. Felt real to us. And yeah. so, what did uh, when you heard you won? Obviously, you were probably high fiving and doing. Did you look at Jose Garces? What was his? Yeah, we shook hands. Yeah, they were, you know they were bummed for sure. I think Jose Garces that was his first season, and his first season wasn't extremely successful. Um, he was definitely having a hard time coming about it. But I mean, you look at him now and what he's done in the last four or five years since. Like he's he's pretty amazing. You know, well, I think he's, he's, he beat Morimoto. He's gotten perfect scores. Like yeah, he's, gotten he, perfect he's coming scores. to his own on that show for sure. He's always an amazing chef. His food was brilliant that day that we battled him. Uh, yeah, we talked to the his two guys that were with him. You know, and they were they were bummed, but they're uh, they were good guys. You know, one of them uh, actually came to Portland with his girlfriend and ate at Paley's uh, about six months after that. He was with his his parents. So. Has Jose ever been here that you know of? Not that I know of. Where is he, by the way? Where's his, where's his restaurants? He's he's got restaurants all over. He's in Chicago know. and Philly. Yeah, I want to say Philly is where he. Where and then he I know uh, Dave, one of the guys that was on the show, uh, opened a place for him in uh, Bethesda. So, do you have uh, you guys? Doesn't sound like you're able to travel as much as you would like to. Do you have some favorite food cities that you? If you if you want to go eat, I have and a hard time. Go I have eat? a hard time getting food. I have a hard time getting out to see new restaurants in Portland, let alone yeah. traveling to a different city. Yeah, right. <laughs> so okay, so well, and you know it's funny when I when I ask most chefs, what do you do in your spare time or what's your, they look at you with a blank look. Yeah. <laughs> it's like especially if you have families. There is no you you're living and breathing what you do. You do you know, and then it's like if you get two days off. That's awesome, you know. If you get two days in a off, row, in a row, that's re- that's really really nice. Um, a lot of times you don't, and you take the one, and usually that one day is your recovery day, you know, because you just worked eighty hours or eighty five hours or seventy, whatever it is. Uh, but that's your recovery day. So when you have two days, usually one day's okay. Pick yourself back up, recover, and the next day is all right. I need to be productive at home. You know, I've got a home I have to take care of. I've got a dog I have to take care of. 
and those things come first. And then it's also for me just spending time with my fiance. And for us, you know, we're we're not young anymore, so I'm not going out a ton. And for me, I'd rather I'd rather be at home and cook. Dude, dude, you, know? you are young. Well, just let me tell you, just so my, my body says otherwise. Well, that's, <laughs> that's true. You're giving it a hammering. Yeah. Too. So. Um, when you've moved out from Vermont, and yeah. it's interesting how many great chefs we have in Portland from Vermont, sure. right? Greg, Greg yeah. Denton. Greg Denton, Rick Garnachel. Rick, yeah. Rick Giancarelli spent yeah. some time there. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, uh, Emily at the front of the house at Atala's from Vermont. Yeah, we should. Uh, I mean, the, the, the list goes on as far as people that have passed through Vermont as well, because Necky, New England Culinary Institute being there, a lot of folks have come through. Dustin from Wildwood, you know, formerly of Wildwood, uh, was, was a Vermont guy for a while. Jason Owens was there. Um, a whole crew of them. Um, Dave, think, Pat, Dave Padberg went to school back in Vermont. It's think, actually really funny because when I was going to go to culinary school, that's where I got accepted to go. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful up there yeah. too. But you were in D.C., so the, it was. I had actually I was in Portland at the time. At the time, yeah. Okay, so I that just, would have been a big. My deal. daughter, I think at the, at the time my daughter was like a month old. Yeah, you know, no, that's was, not when you're traveling across. It. Well, you know, forty eight thousand dollars later, I was like, yeah, well, okay. Well, you got it. You you earned while you learned. Yeah, along the way. So um, you could have ended up in Seattle. You had family in Seattle there. How do you think, have you ever looked back and thought what your career might have looked like had it been not Portland? God, who knows? You know, Portland just literally I came to this city knowing nothing about it. I stopped here because my sister had just moved here and uh, her and her husband had just got her now husband were throwing an engagement party. So I stopped and within a day I knew I was like Portland is where I want to be. I never loved Seattle. I'd visited there a bunch of times. I didn't love it. I spent one day in Portland and knew I wanted to be here. I was the same yeah. thing for me. I just, it just and felt I, right. And I was living in Connecticut and happy. I wasn't looking yeah. for a new place to move. So for, for me, uh, God, I know life would be real different. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't move to Seattle because I love my life. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I, I wouldn't change a single thing. It's a pretty cool community it's a great, here. great community. And you were uh, you back and forth from Portland, spent some time in Eugene. Yeah. And so I had come to uh, Oregon several times. My grandparents had moved to the coast down in Brookings Harbor when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. and my dad was in the military and we were all over the place uh, between his government work and being in the army. But every summer uh, he would, uh, you know, go to summer camp, he'd get deployed or whatever was going on. But my uh, mom would get us out to Oregon at some point. So I either came through Medford or Eugene or Portland or, you know, we would just drive out here, fly out here, whatever it was. And... So I had, I knew what a lot of the Oregon coast was like, and I had spent a little bit of time in Portland. So I actually came to visit, and then about three months later, I moved back. And then within a year, I was washing dishes at a restaurant. There you go. Sorry, I got the wrong one before. So, you, you had to start it's a, there. It's actually a strip club now. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jazz the Opus. I don't know what it's called now. It's down on 2nd and Cooch. Oh, okay. Yeah, I rode my bike back the other day, and I was like, oh, it's a strip club now. So when when you were a kid, did you uh, – so you came at an early age to Oregon. Did yeah. it have enough of an impression on you to think that someday I'd like to be there? And where did cooking come into that it had always, you know, Coming to Oregon had always been in the back of my head because I have such fond memories of being on the coast with my grandparents. And uh, both my uh, – as far as cooking goes, you know uh, – both my mom and my grandmother were great cooks. My grandmother had this huge garden back behind her house in uh, in Brookings, and that's where it kind of started for me in the summertime. Was helping her go out in the morning when I was a little kid and pick vegetables or you know picking tomatoes and learning how to uh, how she oven roasted them and uh, things like that. And 
and it's kind of where learning about my, you know, family's history of just something silly like spaghetti and meatballs, you know, and, and it just kind of went from there. And I just kind of always knew I liked to cook. I didn't know it would take me here, you know, but. So that when you were a kid, I, I wanted to be a sports announcer. Is that what, were, were you thinking cooking? Were you, or not? Well, you know, I got, I was, I really got into music and I thought that there was going to be potential there. Um, until I realized, you know, especially with the classical stuff, that uh, I was probably too lazy to do it, and and I wasn't really into being into uh, into college, you know. And I had a, a couple of attempts that fell short before my dad was like, "Quit wasting money." Pulled the plug. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't wasting as much money then as it is now. <clears throat> right. That's crazy now. You know. Did and, you ever get a chance to play piano with Vitaly? No, you know that's actually kind of funny. We never did. Wow. So. He doesn't talk about. He doesn't really want to play that much anymore. Or at, I've at seen all. him play. Yeah. Oh, really? Thomas Lauderdale's once. Oh wow. Yeah. That'd be cool. I've definitely seen a few Vito on the piano outings. Yeah. Usually it's funny involves when he like a staff party at Amazon yeah. Lodge or. Does, <laughs> so, does he need to get lubed a little bit to do it? Or yeah. I don't think he needs to. I think that's when he just lets himself get free. You know, he's still amazing. It's it's really cool to watch. And and Vito is a huge Beatles fan, so I think. Ninety-five percent of what I've heard Vito play is Beatles. Oh, I would love to hear that. Huge Beatles fans. Yeah, he played a Chopin piece at Thomas Lauderdale's, and he hadn't played it in years. And there's a recording of him doing it that's absolutely amazing. When he was a kid, and you know, it's like the guy is so smart and talented that way that Thomas found the the sheet music for him, put it in front of him, and he just played it again. And it was like it had been years since he had done it, but it was wow. it was really cool to see it. That's an experience I'd like to have. That's a, that's probably one of your better. Both of you, better experiences coming out of that whole that got history. Too, too many to count. Too many good ones. So what about, uh, Ben, what about your childhood and cooking and food? And Yeah, you know, um, I definitely came from a family that food was important. My mom always, you know, was very concerned about what we were eating and also had a garden and, you know, packed my lunch every day. I never was able to eat school lunches, which I was extremely jealous of at the time. I wanted hot lunch. You were missing I, those grilled cheeses. I wanted man. the grilled cheeses and I wanted the French <laughs> bread pizzas, but instead I had like turkey on whole wheat. Um, but from an early age, there were signs, you know, like um, I had moments with food where normal 10 or 12 year old kids I don't think had. And one of those was uh, I got interviewed for a, uh, the Burlington Free Press about sandwiches. There was a, they were doing a story on school lunches and what kids brought to school. And when I told them that my favorite sandwich was a brie and apple sandwich, again, this is like 1989. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in fifth or sixth grade. And uh, they, they had to spot check me. They didn't believe me. So they called my mom <laughs> to double, double, double check this. And sure enough, she's like, yeah, Ben loves brie, melting brie and apple sandwiches. Um, so yeah, I definitely was into food at a certain point and then it didn't really hit till I was about 19 or so where I realized, it was about 19 or 20 when I realized, you know what, this could be a career. I, I met a gentleman who, a gentleman who I worked with who had, had done well for himself with it and just had passion <clears throat> about food. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody be extremely passionate in a professional kitchen about food. So I definitely at that point knew that's what I wanted to do. So that was one conversation that, that. Set you over? Yeah, he, you know, he and what I worked. Was, what was his name? He and I, his name was Rory Osborne. He and I worked together uh, the summer of, I want to say, 1998, maybe. He moved from Florida up to Vermont. He just wanted to fish in Vermont for a summer, and he worked four days a week as a line cook, extremely overqualified, and came into this little bar and grill because his buddy was the chef owner. And um, 
sure enough, like he and I became fast buds. He was 15, 18 years my senior at that point. And he took me under his wing, kind of taught me a bunch and took me fishing a bunch. And um, I, like, I, like I said, I just saw his passion for food and realized that it could be a career. And I loved the environment. I loved the excitement. I loved the adrenaline. I loved the fast pace. I loved all the BS and drama that went on in the kitchen, like all that stuff. <laughs> it fed into everything that I was looking for in work. It was exciting. It never was the same dull moment. Um, and here I am, you know, at this point, 20 years later almost. Or do you 50. still feel the same way? Or Absolutely. Are you still, are you still, I still love every it. morning? I am, you know. I really do. I love I love getting up every day and cooking. Um, it's, it's a blast. I, I can't imagine doing anything but being in the kitchen. What about, what about, what was the moment you can identify that took you that direction? I think it was uh, when I was at uh, when I was at Zephyr, and uh, you know I kind of had a similar situation. You know, I was a young line cook, and there was a guy named uh, Dave Vysick who was one of the sous chefs there, who later cooked at Chez Panisse, who really kind of brought me in and and really was very hands on, worked with me, and I could see his passion and how perfect he always wanted to be, and how. As uh, you know, and he was just like a, a, a hero to me, like how badass this guy could like come in and just like knock projects out. And at the same time, like he had my back if I started going down or, you know, uh, his. It was like his desire to not put anything up that wasn't absolutely perfect. And that resonated with me a lot. And I think it, it carried forward. Is it hard to uh, maintain? It's that's a good standard to have, but uh, so every once in a while you got to realize your imperfections, and uh, and you know people people notice them. You have to read about them sometimes on Yelp and one, uh, other places. How does that affect you? You know, a, a, a statement that Dave Kreifel, one of the owners at Laurelhurst, made was, "Mistakes happen in the kitchen all the time. It's our goal to make sure they never cross that pass and make it in the dining room." And mistakes are going to happen. We're, you know, you work in very, very busy restaurants where we're talking about human error, you know, and things go wrong. A steak gets overcooked. A steak gets undercooked. A steak gets oversalted. Um, but it's our job, Patrick and I, as, as the chefs, to, to make sure that those mistakes don't ever make it into the dining room, you know, and, or to limit them. Um, and that's something that I've been working on is I know, I know they will happen. You know, they always do. But you just got to limit them making it out to the folks. And then, yeah, when they do... You get to read about it or hear about it on Yelp. <laughs> and then, so, are you able to, do you have thick skin about that? Are you able to let it, how do you use Yelp? I've, I've heard absolute diverse opinions on you know, some I've, chefs and how they view it and how they use it, or I, how they don't want to use it. I, I don't tend to read Yelp reviews. Um, I come from the school of, if you have a problem with some of the food that made it to you, we have so many alive and breathing and willing human beings standing right there who are happy to make it right. If your steak was overcooked, we are happy to bring you one that's more to your liking and, and, and replace that at no trouble. You know, it's like, and those are the things that can be helped and corrected right then. Instead of somebody, somebody going home and yelping about it later instead, to me is just a bummer because I would so much rather be able to help you while you're there. You know, and some people just don't want to be helped. Some people want to have that bad experience for whatever reason. That's I don't know why. Kind of thing they I don't do. get it. I don't. We would love to help you. You know. So that's Yelp has kind of created this. I think uh, for people. Well, and just platform. People getting on the internet and you know, 
suddenly becoming food critics and at the same time putting out facts about their dinner that they had the evening before that are wrong, like what the price of your steak was or, you know, something else, you know, or a dish you have that's like got a, the completely wrong components to it that they're talking about. You know, it's just it's it's as as cooks and chefs, I think it's it's ironic to see that kind of thing. And, you know, I totally agree with what Ben is saying that. We're here, you know, if we if we do something wrong or if you're not satisfied with something, say something. I think it's the nature of the beast, though. When someone has a bad experience, there are certain personality types out there that will exaggerate it just to make their point and to be hurtful. They'll sure. say what they have to say, well, I've, whether I mean, it's true or not. see some of those Yelp reviews, they're pretty harsh, you know, for people who don't know a lot about food, you know. Yeah. Have you well, watched the Chef's Feed thing where the chefs read the the bad Yelp reviews? I love that. <laughs> That's one of the best. They, and they've, they've branched off into a mm-hmm. lot of different things yeah. now, too. But it's uh, on, on Yelp. Chefs, chefs, read Yelp uh, chefs read Yelp reviews. It's great. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, you have to go watch that. So how would you guys, I know it's a steakhouse, but what differenti- how do you describe someone who asks you, what is Laurelhurst Market? What is the... Well, I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a Portland version of a steakhouse, you know? And I think when I opened up Beaker and Flask, I called it Euro Portland, you know, because there was European influences for sure on all the food that I cooked, but it was done in Portland style. And I think Laurelhurst Market, which opened at a very close time to, to Beaker, Laurelhurst Market had the same approach. They're going to do it in the style of Portland. What does that mean? Yeah, you? I was going to ask so, you, and we all know that. And we all know this. But, but someone from and again, DC, what so is, that is, that you know, we, we work with local product. We work with as much, of, we work with the best product that we can buy. We work with small farms, and and we try to put the best thing on the table that we can. And to to us, that's just how you do it now. So it's kind of redundant to say Portland. It's just what you do, you know, here in Portland. We don't buy the big commodity meat. We don't buy the garbage vegetables. We buy local. Um, but that goes without saying in this, this day and age. So I think with that being said, we, we, we take that approach and we also try to have fun with, with the menu. And that's my goal is at least to have, to have fun with the menu and, and do riffs on old classics. You know, like one of my favorite things in the menu right now is a beef tongue a poivre. You know, it's a riff on a very simple steak a poivre dish, but it's done with beef tongue and crispy shallots and caramelized onion puree. And it's just something that takes people back that, that may have come up eating a poivre. Um, but it's fun and it's beef tongue and it's the, to me one of the best cuts on the animal. So we get to go, um, yeah. we get to use that. I was going to say if you were going to ask what my favorite thing on the menu I was, going to just yes. That's that's definitely it. I go I grew up uh, eating a lot of beef tongue. My mom used to make it all the time. But uh, this version that we're doing right now is like by far my favorite thing that we're that we're cooking. Well, I remember my father getting thinly sliced, you know, tongue from Oscar's Deli and. Yeah. And that was over the top, tongue. Yeah. You, know, you think about it, though, what difference does it? Does. it? But I really had never experienced using all parts of an animal in anything other than deli meat sure. until I got out here. And uh, it's it's an interesting thing. So you guys don't have a lot of time, obviously, um, but you do get around and you know some people. And even if you're not eating out, who's doing some things that to you are standing out in Portland? It's a hard thing to do. <laughs> There's so many good people, but to to me, I flock more to the people that have been doing something for a long time and continue to do that. You know, there's Portland is there's so many flash in the pans, and for what I look for in a restaurant is longevity and look for the places that are gonna, gonna be here in five years. 
I don't get personally as excited about what's hot right now and it's going to be gone in a year. Or maybe gone. Or maybe may gone. Stay around. It yeah. May, or it maybe may be gone. one of the ones that sticks you know. Around. So, so to me, it's like I just stick to my old staples, man. You know, it's like again, when I get one date night out, and it happens once a month, like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do something simple too. I'm gonna go to Pizza Shoals. You know, I'm gonna go eat good taste and do <laughs> just like just easy breezy. I'm not, I'm not out there. Um, but it is a goal for us to go out and have more date nights, my fiance and I. So. There's definitely a lot of new spots that we're really excited to check out as well. And, and when you have kids, you're really going to need those. Exactly. Kids. So Dude, it's like it. we're, I'm trying do to use. Now. I get married in four months. I'm trying to use this time as wisely as possible because <laughs> I know what happens next. So where have you been recently? Have you been other other than Shoals and Good Taste? Any place? You know, not really. Again, like I said, man, we we cook at home. You know, the one night a week at least, and then um, two if we're lucky enough to do that because it's. That's just where little my life t- is right now. Time. And yeah. what about Patrick you? being, you know, and a, I was gonna ask a bachelor. You, <laughs> I'm well, sure he's yeah. out and about quite a bit. I'm more. out and about. <laughs> uh, you know, I tend to flock to uh, the same places, though. It's probably not going to come as a shock to you when I say this, but, uh, you know, Jose's a great friend of mine, and I absolutely adore him, his wife, uh, Ethan. As people and his, his wife Christina, his, Christina, his son, Ethan. Ethan. Sorry, just, just, anyway. No, uh, it just sounded. Atala uh, is right. is my go-to. I love going there. Uh, Jose's food is always really amazing. He's always very creative. He's always having fun with it. Uh, I think his approach to food is very similar to uh, you know what Ben and I like to do. Uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, honestly, having the kids, uh, you know, I don't get out a lot, man. Uh, uh, occasionally, but uh, where do you go with the kids? Um, if you do, is it just easier for you to cook at home? It's easier to cook at home, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll go out and grab sushi at Mio or something like that, or go up to Bamboo. But for the most part, uh, you know, I've got a very dear uh, family friend who I refer to as my little sister. Her name is Marcy, and uh, we've started our kind of Tuesday nights always our family night. So she and another friend of ours usually will get together and uh, we'll cook, and you know, I'll usually pull out lasagna or my spaghetti and meatballs or, you know, we'll go light, you know. Um, and it's, you know, for me, it's it's more gratifying to, you know, just kind of kick back open a bottle of wine and cook at home. I've got the kids there. Henry's watching some Spider-Man or Batman thing on TV and Bella's in the room ignoring everybody. You know? So I have two more questions for you. One, you've mentioned spaghetti and meatballs twice. Yes. So uh, we're not a big Italian town here in terms no. of cooking. Um, why is that? I mean, to me, Italian represents so much that uh, that we all love about cooking. And that's a good question. I, you know, I, can you answer that? I don't. I don't yeah, know. I mean, coming over from the East Coast, it definitely bums me out. Um, you know, Dave Kreifels and I did a dinner about a month and a half ago called Red Sauce um, at Simpatica, where we did just East Coast Italian. And because we miss it veal. For, for no other reason. Yeah. <laughs> veal, so I, veal. veal 16 different ways on the menu. Yeah. Well, so we, we did do a veal dish. And of course, you know, being in Portland and being chefs, I had to do sweetbreads. So we did a, a veal sweetbreads piccata dish that I thought was pretty standard. Oh, yeah. I you know, because old classic veal piccata is one of my go to's. And chicken piccata is one of the first dishes that I cooked on a professional, in a professional kitchen. So to 15 years later, come full circle, me doing this really awesome veal sweetbread piccata dish. Um, yeah, I love it, but I wish I wish there was more East Coast Italian. Out yeah, there's, there's <laughs> just not much people ask, and you you know there are a couple of places that aren't aren't chef based. Sure, I mean you don't you don't know who the chef is. All right, last question. You alluded to it before. 
what advice would have you given or would you give Ben as he embarks on a family <laughs> as a chef? Uh, what's the most important thing to keep in? in uh, uh, you know what I mean? Ben's got a pretty good head on his shoulders for the most part. You know, I think for getting he married. He won't, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean a good quality. I just mean you know, it's going to be it's, a little more. Uh, you know, to be fair, I'm a, I'm a little jealous that he's getting married. You know, I would, I'd like to, you know, revisit getting married someday uh, when I meet the right lady. But uh, before you have kids, I, you know, sleep. <laughs> and while, while, if you can find the opportunities while, you know, when you have But uh, Ben's really good. Uh, I already see things in him at this point, you know, just even with, like, uh, getting your cool dog marmot, you know, and, you know, with uh, with Autumn, is you're good at, uh, you know, knowing when to walk away from work and, you know, got to get home, and, you know, you've got boundaries that are already set, you know, what's important to you, you know, and uh, it's... You know, I think it's good to see. You're going to have a, you're going to have, you know, and kids are coming next. I mean, man, I'm going to be an uncle. Like, wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. I think that's what I'm trying to say, you know, and it's something that I've, you know, definitely you have to learn how to do it. I've struggled with it as, you know, you understand, you know, what it's like getting a phone call from high school, finding out that my daughter skipped class, you know, things like that. All the things that aren't in the manual yeah. that you just all of a sudden have to deal with. And yeah. You, uh, my suggestion is, um, well, you, you're going to have a lovely wife. That obviously is part of it, but a support system and people who can uh, who can help help you make decisions, help you when you need some help, cover for you. That's Certainly. what Patrick's there for. But yep. uh, you weren't asking for my opinion. But I, 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 I was just glad that you now. guys work together and you know each other. So I wanted to just check that out. I really appreciate. I know it's busy. Both of you coming down here today uh, to talk to us. It's it's been great oh, it's and been a pleasure. Uh, awesome. Two of the nicest guys in show business. We've had the opportunity to do a few events with Portland yeah. Food Adventures. You guys are great. Your presentation at our Laurelhurst um, PFA a couple of months ago was absolutely fantastic. Just cool. the, we had a great the time. people loved you and uh, and so get down to Laurelhurst to uh, fall in love with these guys and their food. Hang out with Kevin. That's yeah. the best way to yeah. enjoy that. Enjoy Laurelhurst. Let's go hang out in the bar with Kevin and then eat your food. Sounds great. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks. you very much for having us. Take care. Right the Fork is recorded in the beautiful studios at Alpha Media and expertly sound engineered by Court Johnson and produced by me, Heather Jones. If you want to find us, we are on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. We love ratings and reviews, so thank you to those who have done that, and please, we hope you'll continue to do so. You can find us at portlandfoodanddrink.com and portlandfoodadventures.com, and of course, right at thefork.com, discoverportland.net, and now at foodcartsportland.com. Lots of great places to find us. We're also on Twitter, Food Podcast PDX, and of course, Facebook as well. Also on our website, we now have a donate button. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to see it continue, please donate and thank you so much.